0: I'm not going to say a lot of introductory things, except this, last week, we noted that to go to heaven, listen, you have to have righteousness. If you will go to heaven, you have to have righteousness. We talked about two ways that people set out to gain that righteousness. Some try to work for it. They try to read God's laws and they can just kind of feel inside what they're supposed to do and not do, they think. And if they're good enough, God's going to recognize it and he'll let them into heaven. And so off they're on this quest of being good. We talked about how that one, I'll go ahead and tell you, probably get a little ahead of myself. The success rate of that method is 00000 keep going, percent which means 100% of people who've tried the working for it, working to get righteousness method, 100% of those people fail. Try it if you want, but it fails every time. We'll see why in a moment. And then there's this other method of getting righteousness, which literally is not achieving. It is just, you're going to have to have righteousness. So listen to me, you just receive righteousness, and all you do is literally by faith. Believe. Receive it by faith. As we'll see, that's, that's the one. And so with that in mind, we'll end up really in, in some ways hitting multiple parts of this chapter again. Uh, and Reading almost the entirety. But I want to start just with verse 13. That's where we left off last week. And if you would read with me down to verse 21 this morning. And then uh, we'll begin... Uh, seven points today. Those of you like, I thought he always does three points. Ha, gotcha. I don't always do three points. (laughs) So today, because we do have so much review, look at verse 13. For everyone who calls, let this sink in. Here's God's word. Here's the Bible. Everyone who calls, on the name of the Lord, we just saying about how it's a powerful name, it's a wonderful name, it's a beautiful name, here's the power exposed, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My desire is this morning that as everyone that's in here walks out these doors this morning, we know exactly what God's will is in the Big picture. This is the big picture. I hope it's just crystal clear. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But now Paul gets very logical. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Nobody's going to call if they don't believe. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard. Never heard of him. Not going to believe it if you never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? As you keep, as, as you hear me referring to this preaching in the text today, please do not assume it is, always looks like this. Preaching is this. Preaching can be any Christian who's been entrusted with the truth having a one-on-one conversation. It could be over the phone. It could be on a train. It could be in a car. It could be in a small group. It could be in the break room. It could be at the kitchen table. It, this is all preaching. How will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? There's a quote from the Old Testament. Isaiah, I believe Nahum both have this idea. How beautiful... Here's the attitude, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's not so much literally that their biological feet are beautiful. It's when someone comes bringing good news that the Babylonians have been defeated or that the Assyrians have been defeated. Or it may be a surgeon who comes out and says it was successful and someone just falls on their neck and don't really know you. (laughs) I love you, man. What is your name? surgeon? I just cut your loved one here and it went well and they're going to live you're beautiful to me and that's verse 15 verse 16 is a whole different tone but they have not all obeyed the gospel and it's not a works obey it's they've not done the faith that the gospel calls for and you can feel Isaiah's frustration as Paul quotes quote for Isaiah says Lord Lord Who's believed what he's heard from us? Isaiah's literally saying, Lord, I gave them the report. I've told him about the Messiah. I've told him what to look for. Who's believing the message? Who's going to believe it? Lord, they're not believing. You can really feel Isaiah's frustration. And now Paul steps back into his present time, and he makes a summary statement. So, faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing, not just anything, through the word of Christ. Now, these next verses are where we'll end today. So Paul knows that no one's going to believe if they don't hear, and if they don't believe, they're not going to call, and so forth. So it's almost as though he asks himself... He's in his Jewish audience here. Why aren't the Jews coming to Christ? We know in chapter 9 that God in his election, his sovereignty uh, has, has elected that a remnant would come to Christ. Not all of Israel are really of the one true Israel. But here we're going to see the other side of the corn, of, of the coin. Here's the practical reason why the nation of Israel is not coming. But don't get bogged down only seeing this is only talking about Israel. They're representative of many people So as Paul asks, I ask, have they not heard? Is it a case that Israel hasn't heard? Faith only comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Maybe they haven't heard, but then he answers his own question. Indeed, they have. For and then he quotes Psalm 19, which Psalm 19 is really in the context of nature, which we'll see in a moment. Nature speaks everywhere. There's literally not a language. Nature doesn't speak French or Latin or Greek or Hebrew. Doesn't speak any of that. Doesn't speak English and Russian and Spanish. Nature speaks to all people of God. And so Paul quotes, I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice, he's quoting Psalm 19. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So Paul asks another question. Mainly about Israel, but it applies to more than Israel. Did Israel not understand? Okay, okay, they've heard. Maybe they didn't understand. Maybe that's the problem. And then he answers that objection by saying, First, Moses and then second, he'll say, Isaiah, no, that's not the answer. First, Moses says to Israel, I will, this is God, to Israel, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. Israel, you're going to be angry at people that aren't even really nations, and they're certainly not my people, and you're going to be angry over what happens with me and them. That's Moses. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, here's God again. Israel, I have been found by those who did not seek me. It sounds like the end of Romans 9. Israel, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And so now Paul concludes this chapter in verse 21. But of Israel... He says, let this sink in. All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Literally, picture it. Picture it. God, Israel, come to me. Call. I'm telling you, everyone who calls gets saved. Call. Call. Come on. But Jeff, what about chapter 9 and God's sovereignty and election and predestination and foreknowledge? Here's the other side of the coin. Why isn't Israel getting saved? Literally God's saying, I'm standing there. I've got my hands out. I've got my arms out. Come on to me. Come here, please. Call. If you call, I'll save you. And Israel's just standing there. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking about it. The real reason... Practically, humanly speaking, is he says God has His hands out to a disobedient and a contrary people. If I'm gonna hit these seven things we've ever be gone right, this is big picture, guys. I need you. You need to you need to fill this out today. I know there's like sixty blanks. It's a lot. I know a lot of you don't like to do that. If you if you don't do it and you go listen later or you steal notes from somebody else, I don't care. Save this. I want us, guys, we've got to feel the weight of every point. I'm not going to spend long on the first points. We're going to spend most of our time on the fifth and sixth point today. But we've got to feel the weight of all of these. The first five have some universal words in them. Be listening. This is important. Some universal words. You say, what do you mean universal? Uh, words like never, kind of always, um, only, only. All those kinds of words are universal words. The first five have universal words in them, and then the last two don't necessarily have that. Thought number one, we're going back, we're panning out big picture. Number one, seven facts. All people know of God and reject Him. This is a big picture. Go with me if you would, back to Romans 1. We're not going to bog down as soon as you write that. All people know of God and reject God. If you would, join me in Romans 1. You see it on the screen, but I'll invite you to kind of follow along on your copy of the Word of God. Paul has just said, and back in Romans 1, you're like, man, we were there over a year ago, I know. He's just said that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. We know that God is righteous. How do we know God is righteous? He goes immediately into one of the ways we we know that God is righteous. For the, watch what the Bible says. Here's our point we're going to make. All people know of God and reject Him. Bible says, for the wrath of God. How do we know God's righteous? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Literally, the more we sin, the more we suppress the truth and distance ourselves from being affected by the truth. Sin, sin, what happens? Bad things start happening. People wonder, why are these things happening to us? Because our world is full of ungodliness and unrighteousness. Verse 19 is key. For what can be known about God, what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God, watch this, I have it underlined in my Bible, God has shown it to them. It's plain, God has shown it to them. That's one or one thing. Verse twenty is another. For his invisible attributes, like what kinds of things? Namely, his eternal power. There's two things. God's and we go outside and we say, "Wow, this is an eternal being. If this stuff's really, really old, but something brought about this stuff, and he's powerful. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. I have this next line underlined. Have been clearly perceived. Clearly perceived, ever since the creation of the world, how? In the things that have been made, and this next line I have it underlined. So they are without excuse. I need everyone in here to please remember that in, in Romans 1. It's going to be important in a few minutes when you're going to, going to, you're going to want to get mad at God. They are without excuse. Why? Because God's made it plain to them, God has shown it to them. His divine nature, His eternal power and Godhead have been clearly perceived in what's been made. So they're without excuse. Verse 21 continues. For although they knew God. Not a saved relationship. They, although they knew God, they know of God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So they're enjoying the blessings from God, but they don't verbalize. Maybe be grateful and thankful, but not verbalizing it back to the Lord. Just described a lot of people. But here's what happened. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Would you write this down? I'm not spending long on it. All people... Know of God and reject Him. And here Paul in these verses gives us some universal revelations that God gives of Himself to us. Number one, we are born with an innate knowledge of God. An innate knowledge of God. And we're born with this thing called a conscience. Our conscience tells us do the right thing. The conscience doesn't automatically have defined all the right things. That's why we've got to load it up with Scripture. But you have a conscience. And God works in that. That's one of the ways God, please understand, verse 19, all people are born with an innate. You're like, but what about the people in China? And they've been told, right, they've been told not to believe in God. Verse 20 gives us the other universal revelation of God. It's in creation. So that the Bible concludes no one has excuse. They are all without excuse. All people know God. All people know of God. And in some form, I'm going to tell you scripturally speaking, all people reject God. Number two, another universal statement. Number two, all people are guilty of sin. I know we hit this last week, but would you go with me again? Flip over, Romans chapter 5. All people are guilty of sin. All people. We read this verse last week, but it comes in again. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world... How'd sin get in here in the first place? Through one man. We know his name was Adam. And of course, where sin comes in, the Bible says death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Wait, wait, Adam's the one that sinned, but watch. Death spread to all men. No one is alive today who lived back then. Why? Death spread to all men because all sinned. All sinned. Literally, we point out, I can't repreach this, but here's, here's the point. You say how have we all sinned? We all sinned before you were born in this world because we were all in Adam in history past at the very beginning, thousands of years ago. You, biologically, in his semen, literally, were in him and we committed the sin and that's why the Bible says all have sinned. So literally, all are guilty of sin before God. Why? Because we sinned when Adam sinned, we were there. We've inherited a sin nature. We sure do like sin. We have an appetite for it. And as we said last week, we commit specific acts of sin. Go to Romans 3. Look at Romans 3. Look at verse number 10. Very quickly. As it is written, first of all, we're going to see our character, and then we're going to see our conversation, and then we'll see our conduct. That's an outline we used on this section a year ago. As it is written, Our character, none is righteous. Notice these universal terms over and over. None is righteous. That's what God's word said. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Conversation. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. If you're sitting here and say, I've never cursed in my life. It's because someone trained you not to and they threatened you with punishment if you did. I promise you, left to yourself in another condition. You would be cursing, as the old saying says, like a sailor. It's in you. But it's also in your conduct and mind. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. and This is us. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatsoever the law says, God's law, it speaks to those who are under the law. We know that we're all born under this law. We're born there. Praise God, I got moved out from being under the law back in 1979. But I was born under it. The law speaks to those who are under the law. So that, here's one of the reasons, every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, I'm going to be good. I'm going to earn my way to heaven. No, you will not. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. God didn't give us the law to, so we could keep it and be saved. God gives us the law so we see what it is and we try to keep it and we realize, I can never do all those things. Well, then you need another way to be saved. Number three. So far, here's our statements. All people know of God and reject Him. All people are guilty of sin. As a result, we keep dying. Not only physical deaths, but eternal death. But praise God, the next thing we start having some good news in that God has made a way for us to be saved. And here it is. Salvation. If you want to write this down. Salvation, and here's your universal word, is only by faith in Christ Christ. Salvation is only by faith in Christ. And here I told you the first three points would be a review and this one goes back to last week. Would you look with me, Romans 10, verse 4. This is important. You say, I want to know how to be saved. Salvation from our sins, of which we're all guilty, is only by faith in Christ. Every part of that sentence is important. Verse 4. For Christ... Is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes? I'm gonna read quicker in a moment, but let me hit this. Not if, don't say it out loud, I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. Does anyone remember what we said, the word end? I gave two definitions for the word end. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We said that word end can mean two things. Nod your head if you remember what any of those words mean. Anybody remember that? I see a couple. I see it look like i got eight or ten. Let me give them to you again. You ready? The word end can mean Christ is the end, the fulfillment, the fulfilling, or the termination. Remember that? It's the termination. Watch. Christ is the end of the law. He fulfilled the law. The law demanded perfection. Christ is perfection so we can have his righteousness. That's why we can be made righteousness. It's more than that. The law, the Old Testament, had these predictions about a Messiah. Christ fulfilled all of those. The law demanded that sin had to be paid for. A price had to be paid. Death has to occur. Jesus fulfilled the law for righteousness for us who believe. He does all the work. We just believe and we we end up getting His righteousness. He gets our sin, we get His righteousness. But it also means termination. Look at the verse. For Christ is the termination, the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And I believe this is the main interpretation of this verse. Watch. Christ is the end, the termination of me trying the works method to get to heaven... Because I don't have to do that method. It doesn't work anyway. Because he's so righteous. He kept all the law. He fulfilled the law. He paid the price. So I can stop. I can end. I can terminate. I just have to get to Christ. And he's done it all. So I can stop trying because he's already completed it. Now verse 5. Verse 5. So we had these two methods of trying to be saved. Verse 5. Gives the one. Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law. Well, here comes that one. Here's what the Bible says. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. The only problem we said, we've already all broken the commandments. You say, I haven't done as much as this other person. It doesn't matter if you break literally one point, one thing of God's law. You've shattered the law. It's all one piece. It's all one law. James chapter 2. So that one doesn't work. Verse 6. Here we go. But... The righteousness based on faith, the other method, here's what it says. Do not say in your heart. I'm going to tell you, I'm really tempted to repreach this section. I'm not going to. It's important. Here we go, verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says, here's what it says do not say in your heart. Don't even think it in your heart. Well, think what? Don't think this. Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. I can't go over it all, but I'm going to summarize it. Literally, the, the, the method of getting righteousness by faith does not say, God, what do I have to do to, to, to get to where you are, to be morally good enough geographically? Do I need to go hunt for you? Do I have to keep your laws? Do I have to hunt and search, wondering what are the commandments? That's not the method. It's not us trying our best to bring Christ down, though that had to happen. It's not our our best trying to raise Christ from the dead, though that had to happen. God did all of that. God did all of that. The faith righteousness method has a whole different attitude. It's verse 8 through 13. But what does it say? The faith method, back to in verse 6. Here's what it says. The Word. The Word. The Word. It's about words. It's about truth. Watch. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. Literally, Paul is using this passage from the Old Testament saying, the way to be saved is not far away, it is literally close. Listen to me. You know the answer. You say, no, 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 no. I don't know the answer. If you've done what I've asked you to do today, you've already written it down. No one in here can ever say, but I just can't figure out exactly what it is you have to do to be saved. You wrote it down. I'm going to pull it up again. Salvation is only by faith in Christ. You already wrote it down. It's in your mouth. You may not have done it, but you know the answer. You can never say, I didn't know the answer. You know the answer. Verse 8, here we go. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Here's how we're saved. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that's a necessity, you will be saved. For with the heart... Now here's the actual chronological order of what happens. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame... For there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. Here's our verse again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So watch. Last week, here's where we kind of spent a lot of time. Let me hit it again quickly. So Jeff, if I really studied that out, exactly boil it down to just the main elements. How does a person get saved? A person gets saved when they believe God's Word, they believe God's Word. So we ask this question, are we saved by believing in Christ? Are we saved by believing in the truth of the gospel? Are we saved by believing the Word of God, the printed page, the message of Scripture? Are we saved by by believing the good news of the Word of God? Or are we saved by believing in Jesus and we said they're one and the same? Because this word points to Christ, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Here's the real order. When you believe the word of God, the promises of God, then you will believe in Christ. It's like 1A, one 1B. One I believe the word of God, the promises. This says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and so I'm going to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. A, B, and that's how it happens. Watch this. That inner belief, when it is true, it is so strong, it causes a person literally to confess with their tongue, their mouth, or as we saw last week, with a public baptism, I'm with Christ. I'm not only God uh, confessing and agreeing with you and saying the same thing, that Jesus is your son, that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the only Savior. God, I'm saying, see, I want to know how to be saved, watch, God I'm taking Jesus as my Lord, not just the Lord of everyone. He's my personal Lord and my Savior. I receive it right now. That's how you get saved. And the moment you really believe God, you will believe Christ. Number four. By the way, it's the only way. That's important because where we're heading. It's the only way. Back to Romans 10. Fourth statement has a universal word in it. Here it comes. Faith only comes by hearing the gospel. I'm going to spend the shortest amount of time on this one. In fact, I just spent it. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hang with me. Everyone has a knowledge of God and rejects it. All of us are guilty of sin, but salvation has been made available. It is only by faith in Christ. Salvation is only by faith. So how in the world do you get this faith if that's the only way? Oh, by the way, did I skip something? I need to go back and hit it. I skipped Acts 4. Turn there. I know, I know my time goes quickly, but I need to hit this because it's important for what we're going to do in a moment. Lest we think there's another way to be saved. Acts 4. Here's what a lot of people think. Well, Jeff, yeah, right, you believe in God and and, and you ask him to save you and you go to heaven. No, no, no. Careful, words mean things. In Acts 4, Peter and John heading to the temple and there's a lame man. He's 40-something years old. He's never walked a day in his life. Peter declares the powerful name of Jesus and says in the name of Jesus rise up and walk the man gets up and walks everybody in the temple knows this guy he's a regular fixture and they know what in the world is going on and all of a sudden Peter uses this opportunity as a chance to preach the gospel and so Peter starts preaching about Jesus well all of a sudden the Jewish authorities who killed Jesus just a couple of months earlier see a commotion down there and they go down there and they start hearing what's going on and they arrest these guys and put them in jail and the next day they're in front of the Sanhedrin the high priest the high priest. follows. father-in-law who used to be the high priest and all the family and here's all the scribes and all the Pharisees and all the elders and all the rulers and everyone's in there and Peter's turned to, to speak and they say, how in the world do a couple of guys like you do something like that? How did you heal this man? How did you do that? Verse 10. Peter, by the way, verse 8 says, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, let it be known to all of you, the Sanhedrin, the enemies of Christ, And to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Boy, that's pretty bold. They can just have him killed, can't they? Peter doesn't care. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's calling it like it is. You guys are the ones who killed Christ. But then he says, whom God raised from the dead. I know you're telling everybody we stole his body, but you know that's a lie. You had him killed. God raised him from the dead. Man, this guy's going to get in big trouble, isn't he? He doesn't care. Verse 11. This Jesus, oh, by the way, he says, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And here it comes. filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, Peter says, And there is salvation, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's very important. The only way people can go to heaven in our lifetime, not talking about the Old Testament, is by putting their faith in the person of Jesus as they believe the promises of God about Christ. Confessing, God, you are true. Now back to Romans 10. You have to have faith, it's the only way. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. Faith only comes from hearing, only comes from hearing. Which brings us to the fifth point. Would you write this down? Many have never heard the gospel. Would you string those together in your mind? If you're writing it on the handout, string it together. All people have a knowledge of God but reject it. All people have sinned and are guilty, but God's made a way of salvation, and salvation is only by faith in Christ, but faith only comes by hearing. And many people have never heard. They tell us over one billion people have never heard. This presents a dilemma. Verse 14. How then, grace view. Christian, this is for us, particularly this section. I said we'd spend a little longer on number five and six. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? If you want to write this down, set this order. All who call on Christ are saved. That's verse 13. I know this as a fact. All who call on Christ, all are saved. Hey, that's real simple. Why doesn't everybody just call on the Lord? A couple of reasons. Should become evident as we finish the message. Two main reasons why people don't just call on the Lord then. They just ask Him to save you. All who call on Christ are saved. That's fact number one. Number two gives one of the reasons. Only believers will actually call. I mean, I'm not going to call on Jesus if I don't think he's sufficient. I'm not going to call on Jesus if I don't think God's word is trustworthy and faithful. I'm just not going to do it. Only believers will actually call. Third quick point, only hearers will believe. So if only believers call, only hearers believe. Which leads to the fourth. Quick statement. People only hear believe. You're not going to believe if you never heard. I always said this to my Bible class. Have you guys believed in the God Zimbui? You're like, what? Have you put your faith and trust in the God Zimbui? I've never heard of the God. Point taken. You're not going to put your faith in a God you've never heard. There are literally a billion plus people who've never heard about Jesus and he's the only way to heaven. Fourth quick point. People only hear when God's people, we could quotation point, Preach, whatever that means. They're only going to hear when God's people preach, which leads to the fifth. Preachers only preach when they're sent. Preachers only preach when they're sent. So if we were to place them in the opposite order, here's what we find. God sends preachers. Preachers preach. Again, please do not think of people dressed like me, looking like me, behaving like me. It is much broader God sends preachers. Preachers preach. People hear. Here's what happens. Hearers believe. Believers call. All who call are, are, are saved. Here's the only thing. If at any point along that way, if there's a break, here's what happens. People don't hear. And if they don't hear, they don't believe. If they don't believe, they don't call. If they don't call, they don't get saved. Wait, we got big trouble. If this thing's ever broken, will it be broken? That's the question. And it brings up this question of what exactly happens... If people don't hear. Now I'm going to ask you to hang on. I'm going to borrow heavily over the next, I bet it's going to be five minutes. I'm going to borrow from a book that uh, first time I read it, didn't agree with everything in it. Second time I read it, agreed, agreed with almost everything in it. So it's a book called Radical. It was written by David Platt, who at the time was pastoring in Birmingham, Alabama. He is now the director, president, whatever it is, of International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Churches, and you can see why he's in this position, why he's in the right position. Praise the Lord for him being in that. Here's what he writes. Here's our question. What happens? Jeff, we've just done these five things. What happens to these people who do not hear the one way of Christ? What happens to them? I'm going to read. Here we go. Quote, Platt says, All people, including you, me, and the man in the African bush, have rejected true knowledge of God. The Bible says we have foolish hearts and futile minds. We have an inherently sinful nature that rebels against the knowledge and the glory of God. Though this is fundamental truth of the gospel, it's often overlooked in a discussion of what happens to people who never hear about Jesus. They're out there, one billion plus. What's going to happen to them? People don't bring this in. We all reject the true knowledge of God. He picks it up. He says, quote, I remember discussing this one time with a table full of college students. One of them asked me, what about a Native American tribe, for example, that originally inhabited parts of America? She continued, maybe that tribe had never heard of Jesus, and they didn't have the Bible, but they did have an innate desire to worship. And so they worshiped what they knew, Maybe the sun god or something like that. She finished. They were doing the best they could with the knowledge they had. Isn't that good enough? Platt says it was a great question and it drove us back to this fundamental truth that we can't forget, discard, or ignore. All people, including men and women in ancient native tribes, reject true knowledge of God. In the words of Paul, these natives were worshipping created things rather than the Creator. So, does worshipping the Son God count as good enough? The answer is no. According to Paul in Romans 1, people don't get credit before a holy God for worshipping gods they create or imagine. Only God deserves worship. So when we worship these gods instead of Him, we don't get credit for trying our best. Our idolatry is just not good enough. Man, that sounds... Pretty stern, pretty narrow, almost mean. He's just telling us the truth. This is important. But he still hasn't told us what happens to them. He just says, that's not the right way of thinking. Now he picks it up. Another illustration, very similar, but now it's going to be what happens. Here he goes. Quote. Suppose you were to ask me what happens to the innocent guy in the middle of Africa? Who dies? This is real. Who dies without ever hearing the gospel. Based off what we said, number one, two, three, four today, it's only by faith. What happens to this person? Platt says My confident answer to you, based on the authority of God's word, would be I believe he will undoubtedly go to heaven. There's no question in my mind. Now, before some label me a heretic, And others, a hero. He says, read back over the last paragraph. Look especially at the hypothetical question. Here it is again. What happens to the innocent guy in the middle of Africa who dies without ever hearing the gospel? This is how most people would frame this question. The reality is the innocent guy in Africa will go to heaven because if he's innocent, then he has no need for a savior to save him from his sin." As a result, he doesn't need the gospel. But there's a significant problem. The innocent guy doesn't exist in Africa or anywhere else. He says, I'm always amazed at how we bias this question concerning people who've never heard about Jesus. We give the man in Africa or the woman in Asia or even ourselves in America far too much credit. Write this down. There are no innocent people in the world just waiting to hear the gospel. Instead, there are people all over the world standing guilty before a holy God. That's the very reason they need the gospel. There are no innocent people waiting around the world, just innocent, and they're just not going to hear about Jesus. And those, What's going to happen to them? The Bible is clear. Continue. He says, this is stern and stiff, but guys, I want to tell you, it's biblical. All too often, we view heaven as the default eternal state for humankind. We assume that our race simply deserves heaven, that God owes heaven to us unless we do something really bad to warrant otherwise. But as we've seen in Romans, this theology is just not true Watch, you say, what happens? Here it comes. All people, quote, all people are guilty before God and as such the default is not heaven but hell. And you hear that and I know what happens to our American minds. That's not fair. If this is true, Acts 4, John 15, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If that's true and they've never even heard, that's just not right. Well, that's what Scripture teaches. Platt picks it up. He says, This brings us face to face with a fundamental misunderstanding that appears in many answers to the question of what happens to the people who never hear about Jesus. Many professing Christians have come to the conclusion, again, they want to, come to a conclusion that if certain people around the world don't have the opportunity to hear about Jesus, then this automatically excuses them from God's condemnation. Such people will go to heaven because, after all, they never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. This line of thinking reflects the intensely emotional nature of this question. I get it. He gets it. He says, we want people to be okay when they haven't heard the when they haven't had the opportunity to hear the gospel. But get what this is so important. He says, think with me about the logic of this conclusion. It asserts that people will be with God in heaven for all eternity precisely because, because you put your faith and trust in Christ. No, precisely because they never heard of Christ. Their not hearing about Christ gives them a pass into heaven. Think about that. He makes us think about it. He says, in addition to the lack of biblical evidence for such a pass, consider the practical implications of that idea. If people will go to heaven precisely because they never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus, then the worst thing we could do for their eternal state would be to go to them and tell them about Jesus. That would only increase their chances of going to hell. Before we got there, they were going to heaven. Now that we've told them about Jesus, they might go to hell. Thanks a lot. Go back to America, right? What do you, get out of here. He literally pulls that out. In a, in a, I mean, we're right here next to several universities. He says, imagine enc- encountering an international student newly arrived on a college campus in the United States. You ask her if she's ever heard about, you ever heard about Jesus? With a, with a puzzled look on her face, she answers, no. Now, if this girl is headed to heaven precisely because she's never heard about Jesus, then the best thing you could say to her for the sake of her eternity is, listen, if anyone tries to tell you about Jesus, put your hands on your ears, start yelling very loudly, and run away. Obviously, this particular method is not prescribed in Scripture. And in the controversial paragraph, the last one of this, I'm going to throw it to you. I'll tell you straight up. first time I read it, I was like, eh, I don't believe that. And I thought about it and I believe it. Here it comes. Still though some will maintain, ready? Well, is God just in condemning people for not believing in Jesus when they never had the chance to hear about Jesus? Okay. I get it. That's what's going to happen. But is God just? Is he right to do it that way? Platt says, "No, that's a really good question. And I believe the answer is no. God would not be just in condemning people for not believing in a Savior they never heard of. First time I read that, that didn't sit well. But as I thought about it, I'm like, oh, had a light bulb moment. It's like, that is true. So again... God would not be just in condemning people for not believing in a Savior they've never heard of. But don't forget, people are not ultimately condemned for not believing in Jesus. They're ultimately condemned for rejecting God. And so that, the only thing I would add to that statement is I would insert the word those. I would do it like this. Those people are ultimately, those people are not ultimately condemned for not believing in Jesus. Those people are ultimately condemned for rejecting God. They never heard about Jesus, never. But I would say, I wouldn't leave it there. I would say many other people are going to have a worse condemnation because they have rejected Jesus. Does that make sense? So what happens to these people? They go to hell if they never hear. I'm sorry. You say, I came here to be edified and lifted up, and now I'm feeling confused. A little angry. Well, before we get angry at God, we need to write down number six. God commands the church to make the gospel known. God commands the church to make the gospel known. The ramifications of the previous point many have never heard On the piggyback of the only way to have faith is by hearing. On the piggyback of this, you have to have faith in Christ to go to heaven. So that means the ramifications of point number five is huge, and it's obvious, and here it is. Since faith only comes by hearing, and a billion plus have never heard, and others living in the United States have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel, then we need to tell them, last week I said it's this, it's the church needs to be about the the business of evangelism evangelism that's the obvious point please I'm going to get technical for a second watch listen God saves people but I'm going to say it again we don't save people watch this God saves people but God uses means to save people. Watch. His means to save is His judgment on Christ. His judgment on Christ in our place. And then we get His righteousness on everyone who believes. That's His means. But that truth, God has a means of getting that truth to people who've never heard. And that means is called evangelism. It's where the church, who've already been saved, we're in it. Now take the message, what you've been entrusted with, and tell other people. Tell it to those who don't yet know it. Evangelism. That's what's implied at the end of Romans 10. Now, here's what I've gathered through the years. There are some people who believe, watch, here's their extent of evangelism. Christians gather on Sunday, they have a guy like me who stands up, reads the Bible, explains some truth, watch this, and in the course of that, we're explaining how we got saved, and we're celebrating how we got saved. And they, if they're listening, the unsaved can hear. Now hold on. You guys got saved by putting your faith in Jesus, and that works? Well, then I'm going to do it. And and that's the extent of evangelism. We're just kind of throwing out facts, making announcements, what would happen if someone were to put their faith in Christ from promises in the Word of God, and then we're done. Totally ignoring this other aspect in which we're pleading with people and calling people to actually enact on the truth. So, Jeff, so which is it? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, would you flip over there? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I know some read my sixth point this morning. God commands the church to make the gospel known. And they're like, no, not really. It's not really our job. Uh, some of those passages in the gospels were intended for the apostles. It's not for all Christians. I'm a blank, insert electrician, plumber, lawyer. I'm that. That's not my calling. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 What precedes this is, Paul has said, we're brand new. When we really get saved, God starts making us over new. Not just making us more like Christ so we're getting ready for heaven. Listen, it's because we have an assignment while we're here. Watch verse 18, 19, 20. This is so important this morning. All this, this changing from God, is from God. Oh, please look at verse 18. Please get this. All this is from God. God, that's what we're talking about. He's the subject so far. He's the enactor. God, who through Christ, insert Christ, reconciled us. Uh-oh, we got three things going on here. God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Watch this. God... And us are enmity, at enmity with each other. We love sin. God has to punish sin and stand against sin. Even though he loves us, he can't just let us into heaven. So we're at war with God. In comes Christ between as the great peacemaker. And we crucify him. And God the Father pours out his wrath on our sin. Because our sin is placed on him. He is, he's in the middle. But the result is, hey, we walk away in father. Guess what? I get to call you father now. We love each other. Now, we both took it all out on Christ. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us, we brought to peace and harmony back with God, reconciled us to himself, and watch, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, this is important, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, watch this end, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now that you're at peace and harmony with God because of Christ, go tell other people, verse 20 is so important, therefore, Paul says, let's draw to a conclusion, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, notice, who's doing the talking here? God making His appeal. Who's talking? God is the one that is talking, making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. I even put little quotation marks on these last four words in my Bible. Be reconciled. I implore you. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Be reconciled. God's standing with his arms open saying, If you'll call, I promise I'll save you. Will you call? Be reconciled. This isn't just stand up and spout out some facts and hopefully they act on it. They implore people. Write it down. We are called ambassadors. To be clear, God's Holy Spirit convicts, He does it. God's Holy Spirit draws, but we are the instruments God uses to make His appeal. Literally, He's the one doing the talking through us. It was actually back in Romans 10. When you finish writing that, you can go back to Romans 10. It was actually in verse 14. It's very veiled, but if you study out verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard, have never heard? Guys, once you finish writing that, I want you to really take a moment to look at verse 14, because what it's saying is, how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? It literally doesn't mean there. If you study it out, it's not saying, I've never heard about Jesus. It doesn't mean they've never heard of Jesus only. It means the way they get saved is when they hear from Jesus through us. Jesus is doing the talking. God is the one making his appeal. It's through us who are the ambassadors. Can I just say this? Praise God for people who are evangelistic. I need to improve. The other day I thought about my own life. I don't know all the dominoes, but sometime, somewhere, my Uncle Lewis, who was a pastor in Swannanoa, North Carolina, had this bright idea to have a Bible camp. And somewhere, I don't know what all it took, but I know that someone had to say, well, there's this property over there, and they have these cabins, and they have this lodge, and, and they have this area, and it's a meeting. You, and we could do the food here, and the lodging there. We could do the boys and the girls." And somebody had to go over there and look around what used to be called Ben Lippin High School that's now, I think, moved down to Columbia. But they had this property. Just all the logistics. We need some lunchroom ladies. We need some group leaders. And he called a man named Ed Yeoman. And Ed Yeoman was a pastor in Greenville, South Carolina at Whitehorse Heights Baptist Church. And he calls Ed Yeoman, and Ed Yeoman agrees. And Ed Yeoman's very evangelistic. And he comes and preaches to a bunch of knuckleheads in June 1979. And he, he teaches us, and he pleads with us. Ed Yeoman's very evangelistic. Praise the Lord for people like that. Because I responded. The Bible says in verse number 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I'm going to tell you right now, I remember, I'm not kidding, I might be remembering incorrectly, but I remember what Ed Yeoman looks like, and I'm assuming he was around my age, maybe a little older than me at that time. I'm assuming he's passed away. I don't know that I've really seen him since. I know he had a son that was like around 18 at the time, and he did the camp for the next few years. I'm telling you, no one here would look at Ed Yeoman and say, now that's a handsome dude. I remember, at least in my mind, he had a big head. And it was kind of blockish. And I remember he had gaps between his teeth. I'm not saying like horrible teeth. I just mean it. You you see some people, they just have kind of spaces between their teeth. And he had this big radiant radiant smile. I remember that. But you would not look at him and say, and I don't know if it was blondish or blondish gray, but that was a beautiful man to me. I ain't kidding. That guy told me how to be saved. And he pleaded with me. Who was it in your life? Who was it? What was their name? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Who was it? Christian, do you want to be that person? You say, I've got a name. You may have three names. Is there anything in you says, I want to be that? Somebody did it for me. I want to be that person that when someone gets to heaven and says, I'm here because you told me. God was doing the talking, but he spoke through you. You implored me. You taught me, but you implored me. Luke 14. I don't have time to develop the thought here. Look at verse 22. Watch this. The servant says to the master, sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. There's this big banquet, this big event that's happening. God is the master in this. We're like the servants, watch this. And the master said to the servant, okay, there's still room, here's the solution. Go out to the highways and hedges. Go beyond the city is the idea. And watch this word, compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Write this down. You know that word compel? You know what it means? Strongly urge, persuade them to come in. What is your belief about evangelism? I'm going to give you four schools of thought very quickly. Ready? Here comes. Here's school number one. Group number one. By the way, put yourself in a group. Ready? Group number one. They hear the truth of God's election and foreknowledge and predestination and sovereignty in chapter 9. And they conclude, then we don't need to be evangelistic. God's already made a determination. He's already elected. He's already chosen. He's going to get saved. And they're going to get saved no matter what I do. I I don't need to do anything. Blood will be on their hands. People will go to heaven. Others will not. And blood will be on their hands. Woe to them. Group number two, watch. They get very angry at group number one. They're all saved. Saved. Here's what they say. You people, with your sovereignty and your predestination and your foreknowledge and your election, They've got your head in the sand. You just, you just you think you don't have to do anything evangelistic. And, and they're way over here kind of on the, we've got to get people believing and people need to believe. And you guys think God's just going to do it because he's got his free prerogative to choose who and all of that. And these people over here get angry at those people over there. Like, what's wrong with you to think such thoughts? But here's the problem. Watch this. Group 2 thinks very differently than group 1. Watch But their life is exactly the same. They think differently. They don't live differently. Platt words it this way. Some claim Christ is necessary for salvation, yet they live their Christianity in silence as if people around them in the world will indeed be okay in the end without Christ. You guys with your life, you're frozen, chosen? Right? Oh, you're chosen. You're just frozen. Frozen. You don't ever tell people about Christ. Who have you told? Get it. You understand? You're angry at them. Get it. Who have you told? Group three. I don't want to be in group one. I don't want to be in group two. Here's group three. Group three goes so far in the other direction. In fact, they go the other extreme from either group one or group two. Here's what they do. They adopt tactics of pressure and manipulation to lead people to say a supposed prayer to a Savior that's going to help them get to heaven. Watch this. They're so zealous to get people to Romans 10, 13. Call on the Lord. Pray. But grandmother, pray. Say this word with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Would you please save me from sin? Save me from sin. And they repeat everything. Listen to me. Blood will be on your hands if you manipulate and pressure people into saying a prayer that they don't even know the God they're praying to. They don't know the Savior they're praying to. They don't mean it. You are damning them to hell because you're giving them a false assurance and they prayed a prayer when they were 11 years old. Be careful working with kids. Be careful working with kids. Be careful working with anybody. And now I have you fully confused. Uh, Jeff. Oh, God, this, is, this is chapter nine folks. Y'all were on my nerves. I couldn't wait for you to get out of that chapter. Over here, I understand they're mad at them, but boy, that's not right. They're actually not doing anything different. They're practically living the same way. Over here is these people just trying to get everybody to say prayers, and they're constantly going out, going out, going out, and they got fifty people saying prayers, but literally after ten years, you don't ever see a single fruit of anything they've ever done. What's going on with that? So Jeff, you really got me confused. You're up there all excited, kind of sweating again, just like you were back in chapter 9 when you talk about the sovereignty of God. Which is it? The sovereignty of God? Or do we need to be evangelistic and call people to put their faith in Christ? To that I respond. Our job is to interpret what the Scripture says, believe it, and try to obey it. I don't have any difficulty, I'm not retreating from Romans 9 and the sovereignty and the free, elective, prerogative of God to select some and to not select all. That is God's business. Here's my only thing. I don't know who they are and so I am supposed to be evangelistic and following the pattern of burden and prayer and and telling people about Christ that I see in chapter 10. How are they going to call if they haven't believed? They're not going to believe if they don't hear. They're not going to hear if somebody doesn't tell them. Number seven, many do hear the gospel but still reject it. Ah, there's the problem. Many do hear the gospel but reject it. Verse 16, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? God, they're not believing. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And it's as though, honestly, guys, listen to me. It's as though Paul steps back and says, so where is your Jewish audience in this whole scheme? Number one, two, three, four, five, six, all these things that you just hit. It's as though Paul says, have they never heard? Are they in the group that haven't heard? And then he answers it. Notice what he says. Verse 18, I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice could say nature, but really in the Jews' case, it was more than that. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Has Israel heard? Yes, they have. Paul applies Psalm 19 to show, please write this down, his Jewish audience could not claim they've never heard. His Jewish audience could not say, Paul, we didn't know this about the Messiah, and that he was supposed to die on a cross and and be buried with the rich and be scourged and, and, and hated and despised. We didn't know all that. Well, they should have. It was in their scriptures. Let me say this quickly. Paul's Jewish audience could not say they've never heard. Listen to me. No one here today can say you've never heard. No one can say, God, I never heard how we're supposed to be saved. Yes, you did. You were there on on February the 4th, 2018. You were there at Graceview. You literally wrote it down. It was on the screen. It was being said verbally. You wrote it down. You didn't do it, but it was there. Which brings us to the next thought. Paul, I'm sorry, I think I skipped a note. But Paul's point, he responds by saying God's truth is not hidden. It is not hidden. We already hit that. Number two here. Lastly, God's salvation is not complicated. God's salvation is not complicated. I'm glad we're closing here this morning. Paul says, I ask, did Israel not understand? Okay, okay, they they did hear." And like everyone here this morning. Okay, we've all heard. But maybe they didn't understand. Please get this. Paul is going to teach us that the Jewish audience cannot claim the gospel was not heard. And watch this. They cannot claim the gospel was too complicated for them to understand. How do we know that? Israel as God's people... They were his special chosen nation for 2,000 years. They had what's called the special revelation of God. Most of this Bible is the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament. They literally were the chosen people of God. They had the commandments. They had the law, the poetry, the prophets. They had all of these things for 2,000 years. Watch this. Watch. This is important. Well, maybe they didn't understand. Uh-uh, that doesn't work. Watch. Paul says, I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you, he's talking to the Jews, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will bring you, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, he tacks on top of that. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says all day long I've had my hands out to a disobedient contrary people. Watch. Israel, you can never say, you didn't hear, you can never say, we couldn't understand it. Because people who have no prior knowledge about God are coming to Christ. And you are rejecting it. It's not an understanding problem. It's a heart problem. You are refusing Christ. They're receiving You have so much more knowledge about the God in the Scriptures. They have none of it. But as soon as they're hearing the gospel, they're coming to Christ. They are an indictment against you. Can I make an application here this morning? The problem wasn't they hadn't heard. The problem wasn't it's too complicated because it isn't. So if you're here and you're thinking, I, I just, I'm, I'm trying to make sense. I just can't. That is not the problem. I'm going to prove it to you. The problem is that many hear truth and reject it. Verse 3, not on the screen. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. God tells them plainly, they just, I'm not going to do it. That's the problem. By the way, here's how that applies to us. Listen. Listen, listen, listen. Often, children who have no prior knowledge of God, watch, have no problem understanding and receiving the message of salvation. Children, it is not an intellectual thing. Literally, guys, I did this when I was nine. I was a little short. I was was short for my age. Nine years old. I'm not smarter than anybody else there. I really did get saved. I'm not more saved now. I got saved then. Children get saved by hearing the gospel, understanding it, and receiving it. But many times, adults don't. Why? Here's reasons. Adults often refuse because, here's, here's one, you ready? That doesn't sound very religious. That's too easy. Come on. We sin. Again, God's really angry. He takes it out on his son and we just believe in what the, no, 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 there's got to be more. Give me something to do. Give me a performance based. I don't want to just humble myself to God and let him do all the work where he gets all the credit and all the glory. I'm not doing it that way. That's why a lot of adults don't come to Christ. That's it. There's a second reason and a different reason. They're afraid of the effect on their life. Kids hear it, believe, trust Jesus, really do get saved, usually struggle with their faith, but they get grounded, and off they go, and they start growing in the Lord. But adults hear it, and it's like, but if I do that, and you're saying, I got to, he's like, the Lord of my life, oh, he's going to be the Lord of your life. He will come in. Your life will not be the same. Ah, I like my sin. I like my sin. You and your sin are going to go to hell. And then the third reason, they just doubt God's ability. I just don't know. They're not flipping about their sin. They feel terrible about their sin. And I just don't know, if you knew the things that I've done, I've got to get these straightened out. You're never going to get them straightened out. We've all already blown it. That's why Christ died on the cross. If there was another way, then we could have just told Jesus, hey, thanks, we didn't even need it. Look, we worked our way to heaven. Did you catch that? The Jews, it's not an understanding. It's not that they hadn't heard. It's we don't want to subject to him. Kids come to Christ like these nations who don't even know Christ. They're just coming by the thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands and the millions. And over here the Jews. I'm not being mean, but they're just like rejecting. And it's like a lot of People. People with a lot less intellect than them are just going to Christ and they're going to heaven. But they're over here evaluating and analyzing. And what it really boils down to is it's disobedience and stubbornness. That's what it is. That's what it is. McLean says in verse 17, literally, how can I get faith? What if I don't have it? It's not my fault. Paul says, here's the way it comes. Faith comes by hearing. But how does hearing come? By the word of God. Listen, listen. You say, but I, I, just, I just don't have the faith, Je- Jeff. I understand. You have to have faith in Christ. That's the only way I understand. But I just don't have faith. McLean's going to help you. He says, if you want more faith, just listen to the word of God and accept it, and your faith will grow. You don't have to, listen, you don't have to have a lot of faith. You just need a little faith, a little faith. Do you have a little faith? I had a little faith when I was nine years old.